Psalm 32. And if you are able, please stand and honor the reading of God's holy word. Psalm 32. David teaches us, he says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Through my groaning All day long, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as in the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with the shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice. O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, as we come to this psalm today, we see the emotions of living the Christian life. We see David in agony. We see David in praise in this one psalm. And Father, as we come to your word, open our ears and our hearts, our minds to receive it. May it be like that good soil that receives your word and is glad and prosperous. Let us not have hearts that are hard or thorny or rocky that refuse your word. Holy Spirit, take that away, we pray. And open us to your word, we pray. If there's one here who doesn't know Jesus, may they see the goodness of your gospel. May they see the salvation that is in Christ. For believers here today, may we truly see what it means to live under the Lordship of Christ, to have you rule in our hearts and our minds. May we find comfort in knowing that you are our hiding place. And may we, with David the psalmist, be glad in the Lord and rejoice from your word today. All of this, Father, we pray. And we all pray in Jesus' name, and together we say, Amen. Please be seated. The date was Tuesday, December the 6th, 1983. I was just a little guy. I was sitting on the third row at Tennessee Avenue Baptist Church. 
You might say, Adam, why were you sitting on the third row on a Tuesday night? Well, at Baptist churches, we have revival services that go all week long. And it was Tuesday night during the middle of revival, and my family was right there up front at church. I don't remember all the details of that night, but I do remember this, that the preacher was very clear with the gospel. He told me what Christ had done for me uh, and that Christ did all of what he did because I was a sinner separated from God and I couldn't get to God on my own. But he told me that Jesus came and lived a perfect life and died on the cross for me and that I could have forgiveness and salvation for my sins by trusting and believing in him. And on that night, I want you to know, I trusted the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation under the preaching of God's word. And I'll never forget the very next day. Again, I was only six years old. I walked into my first grade classroom. My teacher was there. Her name was Miss Nagel. And I knew Miss Nagel was a Christian. And I went up to Miss Nagel and I said, Miss Nagel, I want you to know that I trusted Christ for salvation last night. And she gave me a big hug and she rejoiced with me because the two of us knew the Lord and both of us could testify of the joy of having our sins forgiven. And I will never forget that as long as I live. Now, I tell you that story today because in Psalm 32, I want you to know that you're going to hear from David some of those same things. We're going to hear of his own conviction and confession of his sins. We're going to hear that he received forgiveness of sins. And at the end of the psalm, he rejoices in what God has done. But before David gets to that point, of having joy in the forgiveness of God, this psalm teaches us that David goes through a bitterness of soul. This psalm teaches us that David had a time of running from God, and as this psalm says, he was stubborn like a mule, trying to stay away from God. He had hardness of heart. But this psalm is such a wonderful psalm because it tells us that God never left David. God never gave up on David. And God takes David through what is an agonizing time. Seriously, an agonizing time we're going to find of conviction. But he brings him to the point of repentance, to the point of coming to the Lord. And David finds the forgiveness of God. As I mentioned a moment ago, this psalm is full of Emotions, some, or emotions that are part of living the Christian life. I think many of us will be able to identify with this journey that David describes in his own Christian life. If you look at the back of your bulletin, you'll find the outline for our sermon today. This psalm has four major points that I want you to see today. First of all, for King David, I want you to see that past bitterness comes before present blessedness. Secondly, I want you to see a warning and a promise that he gives. Third, a gracious response by our God. And then fourth and finally, David's gladness and rejoicing in God. But let's get on this journey with David because this psalm starts with what I'm calling past bitterness coming before his present blessedness. And this is a focus on verses 1 through 5. 
Before we get into the meat of this text, I want to share with you another personal story. You know, in 1983, I came to know the Lord. Let's fast forward 17 years later to June of 2000. This was a month before Deirdre and I got married. So we were both looking forward uh, to, to that day coming up. But for some reason, in June, a month before I got married, I want you to know that God brought upon me a personal conviction of sin like I had never had before in my entire life. And it was agonizing. That the Lord was pressing upon my heart and my mind the reality not only of my present sin, but my past sins. And I can say along with this text, as David said a moment ago, God's hand was heavy, heavy upon me. And I want you to know that that happened day and night. I would be up late at night. I'd Thinking about my own sin, I'd wake up first thing in the morning. I had just such a, such a, um, sin was on the forefront of my mind. And this lasted in my life for, for several months. You, you, you could say, as Lad read a moment ago from Acts chapter 2, man, I was cut to the heart. And this lasted for at least nine months. And it was agonizing. The Lord was cleaning me out on the inside spiritually. And it was agonizing not only on me spiritually, but physically. It took a toll on my life. My sleep, um, physically in my life, it just wasn't the same. And I, and I asked the question at the time, I was like, why, why, God, are you doing this to me? Why am I going through this? And at the time, I didn't have all the answers. But I think later on, after I got through that time in my life, the Lord was teaching me some of the answers to why I was going through this. First of all, I think he was preparing me for ministry. He was trying to get me to see the heinousness of sin and just how bad sin is. And if I'm going to go into the ministry, I need to have a full understanding of that. But other than that, it was my personal sanctification. God was showing me what it meant to live under the Lordship of Christ. And also, some of you know, I was getting ready to go into an environment where other ministers even around me in the church, they did not see the heinousness of sin. And they were involved in things that I shouldn't be involved in. And God, I think, was trying to protect me from that, to, for me to see the reality and the heinousness of sin. But I think one of the main things God was trying to teach me was the abundant beauty of His grace. That even though I had fallen so short of his glory, even though I was flat on my face before God in an agonizing fashion, God's grace was greater than my sin. And that God would forgive me and he would restore me, not because of anything I had done, but because of what his son had done for me. And he was getting that right in my mind and clear in my mind before I stepped into the role of ministry. Now, why do I tell you this second story? Because I want you to know in much the same way, David had that same kind of conviction right here in Psalm 32. Look back at verse 4. See the agony David's going through. Look at it. David says, For day and night your hand was heavy. Upon me. God, you were pressing down on me. You were convicting me of my sin. Look at the end of it. 
He said, my strength was dried up like in the heat of summer. I was completely exhausted because your hand was so heavy on me, pressing down on me, convicting me of my sin. He was also cut to the heart, as in Acts chapter 2. But did you see what he said in verse 3? You know, right before he talked about God's heavy hand. Because verse 3 David tells us something that he did that he should not have done. Look at the beginning of verse 3. He said, for when I kept silent. When I kept silent. What's David saying? David is saying that God's hand was heavy on him. He was convicting him of sin. But David wasn't going to say anything to God about it. His heart was going to stay hard He was going to be stubborn, just like an old mule. He was going to run from God. He says this. He said, my bones were wasting away. You can see it took a physical toll on his body because he delayed his repentance. He was groaning all day long, says verse 3. That's why God's hand was so heavy upon him. His strength was being dried up. He was stubborn. He wouldn't come to God. And acknowledge his sin before God. You know, we've seen this in the Bible and other places. We all remember the story of Jonah. Jonah had a very, very clear call of God. Go to Nineveh. But Jonah says, nope. Not doing that. I'm going to do my own thing. And I'm going to go get on this ship. And I'm going to sail away from what God's calling me to do. In other words, he's going to keep silent with God. He's going to go do his own thing. But did God leave Jonah? (laughs) He didn't, did he? He had that old boy thrown off the ship, and a fish swallowed him, and he was in the belly of the fish for three days. That's an agonizing time, you could say, for Jonah. But why did God do that? You see, God disciplines the ones that he loves. He loved Jonah. He loved David. He loved me. And from time to time, God is going to take us through an agonizing time to get things right with him so that we live under his lordship, so that we understand what it means to walk with Jesus. God does this to the people that he loves. And just like Jonah, just like me, David right here in the psalm is saying, I'm experiencing bitterness of soul, of body. God, your conviction is taking such a toll on me. I feel so dried up. It's like the heat of a hot summer day. Here's my question to to you today. Has this ever happened to you? Is this happening to you right now in life? Is God's hand heavy upon you? Listen, sometimes in the Christian life, that's exactly where God wants you to be. He wanted David to go through this agony. He wanted Jonah to go through this so that God can shape them and form them into people who were made more in the image of Christ. God disciplines the ones he loves. And if God's hand is heavy on you, I want you to hear a verse 
in verse 9 of this text. Because if you're like David in verse 3, if you're keeping silent in the midst of God's heavy hand upon you, I want you to hear verse 9. Look at it. It's one of the clearest examples in all the Bible about a man's heart towards God under conviction of sin. Verse 9 says this, Do not be like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. What's God saying? Don't be a mule. What do we know about mules? They're stubborn. We all know the phrase, stubborn like a mule. The mule won't get up and do what you tell him to do. He'll stay. He'll sit and be stubborn. He'll, he says, I want to do my own thing over here. I want to do it my way. When the mule's given a command, he won't come. He stays silent. He just does his own thing like David and Jonah. And the Bible comes to us today, and it picks up this example of a mule, and it says to all believers, don't be a mule. What is the Bible saying? It's saying this, what, don't put off till tomorrow what God has called you to do today. If God's hand is heavy upon your soul, upon your mind, upon your body, don't be a mule. If he is pressing upon you because of some sin issue in your life that you are so hesitant to give away, don't be a mule. Don't make God drag you and grab you and pull you to him because he did that to Jonah. He's doing it to David. He was doing it to me. Don't be a mule. Come. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Acknowledging, confessing your sin. Now I use those two words specifically because they're found in verses 4 and 5. Acknowledging and confessing your sin because finally that's the point that God brought David in verses 4 and 5. Excuse me. Um, It's found in verse 5 only. Look at verse 5. God gets David to this point. He says, I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. What an amazing verse. God had done this long, hard work on David, convincing and convicting him of his sin. And finally, David brought him to that point of acknowledgement, of confession, as this verse says. After acting like a mule, David confessed. But what's the good news here of this verse? God forgave him. You see, we have a God who stands ready and able to forgive. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sin, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And David received this forgiveness. I received this forgiveness. If you are in Christ, you have received this forgiveness. Not because of what you've done, but because of what Christ has done for you. There's something very special going on in the first two verses of this psalm. 
Just a moment ago, Lad read from Romans chapter 4. The Apostle Paul, years and years after David wrote this psalm, the Apostle Paul writes the book of Romans. And you know what he does? He picks up the first two verses of this psalm, verses 1 and 2. He takes them from the Old Testament. He brings them into the book of Romans, puts them in the New Testament, and applies them to Jesus. What do those verses say? Look at it. Verses 1 through 2. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. But when Paul picks those verses up and puts them in the New Testament, do you know who Paul applies that to, that work of forgiveness? He applies it to Jesus. He says the whole reason you and I can be forgiven, the whole reason that God does not charge sin against you and me is that he's charged that sin against Jesus. I have a drawing I'm going to put up. Uh, uh, Melanie, you can go ahead and put that up. This is called The Great Exchange. If you took my uh, scripture memory class a few months ago, you've seen this drawing before. But as you look at this drawing, I want you to know that these two verses out of, uh, out of uh, Psalm 32, they teach this great exchange. Now, I just got my wallet out, and I pulled out this card right here. This is my, um, this is my Wells Fargo debit card. Do you have one of these in your wallet, a debit card or a credit card? Now, I pulled this out because there's a phrase in Psalm 32, verse 2. It says, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. That phrase, counts no iniquity, can also be translated imputes. Imputes no iniquity. What does it mean to impute? It means to charge, just like on a credit card. I could go out uh, today and, and buy lunch, and then I could, they could swipe this card, and they would charge this card, right? There would be a debit on my account. That would be sort of a negative charge, uh, something I owed. Uh, you could say it's a negative imputation. But I could also take maybe a paycheck. I could go to an ATM. I could put this card in the ATM and let my paycheck go through, and that would be a deposit. There would be a positive charge to my account, a positive imputation. So you can see when you impute, it can be negative or positive. It could be a debit or a credit, but that's what it means to impute. Now, look at this drawing, because within this drawing, you have what I call two imputations, or the great exchange. On the left, you have someone like me or yourself who is a sinner before God. We deserve the guilt, the agony, the consequences of our sin. But the Bible teaches us that our sin has been imputed or charged to Jesus Christ. Was Jesus Christ a sinner? Absolutely not. But was he declared to be a sinner for you and me? Yes, he was, because our sins were imputed to him. But the good news of the gospel doesn't stop there, because it says the righteousness that belongs to Jesus Christ, his righteousness, can be imputed to us. Now, are we righteous within ourselves? Absolutely not. But can you and I be declared righteous by God because of what Jesus has done for us? Yes. Yes, we can.
And this, friends, is the doctrine of justification, that our sin was charged to Christ. They were imputed to him. His righteousness is charged to us. That's why David says, the Lord counts against us no iniquity because he's counted it against Jesus. Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, tells us this beautiful doctrine of justification. It tells us how our sins can be forgiven. And you see there in verses 1 and 2, David rejoices. He says, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. Blessed is the man whom the Lord counts no iniquity, the great exchange. And we see that even though David went through this terrible bitterness of soul, how God's hand was so heavy upon him, he confessed his sin before the Lord, and he stood the blessed man because he had been forgiven through Christ. The second thing I want you to see today is a warning and a promise. Look at verse 6. It tells us the warning. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Did you see that phrase? At a time that you may be found. The Bible says to us, beloved, that there is a time where the grace and the mercy of God can be found. But that is only a limited time. That that time will one day come to an end. Seek the Lord while he may be found. That's what the Bible says. When can he be found? Right now. Today, God has given all of us a time to find his grace and his mercy. As one commentator said, right now, God is furnishing man an ark in Christ whereby we shall swim above the deluge. But as a preacher of the gospel, let me be very clear. The Bible tells us that one day that time is coming to an end. Hebrews says it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. If we die before repentance, we are going to go to judgment before the Lord. But Jesus talks about this when he talks about the rich man and Lazarus. And it has a picture of the rich man in the agony of hell, wishing that he had repented, wishing that he had got things right with God, but his time had run out. And even if we don't die, Jesus might come back. The Lord Jesus might come back before we die. And if he does, let's remember the words of Revelation. We're going to put this slide on the screen. This is God treading out his wrath upon those who have not repented. The Bible says, so an angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle. This is a vivid picture of God's wrath being poured out on those who have not repented and believed. The warning to us today is seek the Lord while he may be found. 
That time is now. Do not put off till tomorrow what God has called you to today. Don't be a mule. Because he gives this blessed promise in verse 7. Verse 7 says, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. What an amazing verse. The Bible says today, if you're in Christ, that God himself is your hiding place. That you have preservation, you have safety from that wrath of God because you are in Christ. Here's what Spurgeon says about this verse. He says, I as a sinner have taken shelter in God's love and compassion. I have been placed under the wings of God. I have been covered by the robe of Christ's righteousness. And now I am safe. If you walked in here not being safe from the wrath of God, if you walked in here fearing the wrath of God, being put under the, the, one of those grapes of wrath that were tread out, we read about just a moment ago. The scripture says to us today, you can walk out of here safe because you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You can have God as your hiding place. The Bible says so much about the safety of God. In Romans 8, it says we'll never be separated from his love. In Galatians 4, it says we'll be adopted as one of his children. In John 10, it says that we are in Christ's hand. He will never let us go. Indeed, God is our hiding place. Well, that brings us to our third point. And this is a response, not by David, but by God to David. Look at verse 8. God says to David, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. What an amazing response. God says, David, I will now instruct you. I will teach you. I will guide you. How does God do that? We're going to put a few verses on the screen. For you and me, God instructs us and teaches us through his word. The Bible says to us that Scripture is God-breathed. It is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I want you to know that in the pages of Scripture, God will guide you with His Word. He will teach us. He will admonish us. He will equip us how to go through life. And then not only does He give us His Word, but He gives us His Spirit. This is from the Gospel of John, our next slide, chapter 14, verses 16 through 17. The Bible says, Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. Christian, you are never alone. This text says that God's Holy Spirit is with you, and He is the Spirit of truth that will guide you into truth. God will use His Word, and the Spirit will direct you through the Word of God to a life that is counseled by God, instructed by God, as this text says. You'll be instructed in the way, taught in the way that you should go. 
That's God's gracious response. And that brings us finally to our final point. David says, because of all of this, I'm going to be glad in God. Look at verse 11. David says, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy all who are upright in heart. So let's take a step back and review kind of the big picture of what the psalmist sang. David says, God, even though I was silent, even though I was as stubborn as a mule, God, you kept convicting me of my sin. And God, you put your heavy hand on me and I felt dried up. But God, I recognize that the reason that happened is because you discipline the ones you love. And you love me. And God, you brought me to the point of acknowledgement and confession of my sin. And you forgave me. Because you're faithful and just to forgive me. You imputed all my sin to Jesus and his righteousness has been imputed to me. And now you have promised me to give me shelter and safety. Because God, you are my hiding place. And now you've promised to instruct me, to teach me, to counsel me, to guide me with your eye. So it's like David is now saying, God, since I have experienced such a heavy hand of conviction in my life by you, now, now I should be so much more responsive to your gentler touch, to your softer touch of simply teaching me and counseling me. Lord, I should listen to you. I shouldn't sit here like a mule. I should obediently listen to you. What am I talking about? I'm talking about trusting and obeying. It's one thing to know the will of God. It's a completely different thing to obey the will of God. Jonah knew the will of God. David knew the will of God. Jonah ran, David delayed. What will we do? David is teaching us, do not be a mule. Do not keep silent. Do not keep running from God. Let us see the forgiveness of God. And when we see that, when we obey that, when we do that, we now can be glad and rejoice in God. We can be glad because God has forgiven us. He's justified us. We can shout for joy. Our sins have been forgiven. Well, that brings us to our conclusion. Are you here today under the heavy hand of God? Do you, is your spirit dried up as in the desert? as in the heat of summer? Is God's hand heavy upon you? If so, that might be exactly where the Lord wants you to be. God is cleaning you out. God is preparing you for something. But are you running from Him? Are you delaying that response? Is there a sin that is causing a rift between you and God, you and your spouse, you and your children, you and your parents, you and a friend? What is it? 
God wants to clean you out so that He can prepare you to serve Him with your whole heart, mind, strength, and soul. If this is you, don't delay like David. Don't run like Jonah. Don't be a mule. Acknowledge, confess, as verse 5 says. Why? Because God stands ready to pardon your sin. Jesus says, come to me, all who are heavy or weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God is able to deliver you. Your sin has been imputed to Christ, and he wants to teach, guide, instruct, watch over you with his eye. There's a whole, as we said before, there's a difference between knowing God's will and doing God's will. You can know God's will and still sit there like a mule. Don't be a mule. Come to the Lord that you too, as David does, rejoices in the Lord. Today, even you can know the blessedness of forgiveness. Pray with me, please.